Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. I'm grateful you could be with me today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. You know, along this single parenting journey, there are many times that I have asked myself, is life ever going to be good again? And my guest today is here to talk about just that. Her name is Lisa Apollo. Lisa is a widow and single mother of seven, and she's just written a book called Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It All Falls Apart. Something exciting is in the works, and we are adding a new segment to the Christian Single Moms podcast in which we'd like to feature you. On our website, you can record a question that you'd like to have answered or share something that God has been teaching you in this season. Submissions can be anonymous and may be played right here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. For more details, check out the link down in the show notes. Something I've learned in my season as a single mom is that loneliness actually does not have that much to do with being alone. Hurt from our relationships in the past causes us stress around relationships in the present. And the ways that we have learned to deal with that stress can help us to feel safe, but actually keep us away from the meaningful relationships that we desire. To start to unravel this, to identify your stress style and discover the pathway to healing, you can take our quiz called What's Your Stress Style? And you'll find a link for that down in the show notes. There are things that you and I have had to step through that are just not good. And Lisa can definitely resonate with that. But what I love about Lisa's heart, and I think this comes through both in this conversation and in her book, is how she has surrendered herself to recognize that this is her circumstance. And yet in that has been able to discover all around her the goodness of God. Here's my conversation with Lisa Apollo. Lisa, I'm so glad to have you with me. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Yeah. Appreciate it. Lisa, your new book is called Life Can Be Good Again, but you started the journey to this understanding as most of us did with a lot of heartbreak and devastation that had occurred. So I'd like to know if you would talk to us a little bit about your journey and how it was that you came to this understanding of life can be good again. Sure. I certainly did not, you know, when my life fell apart, I, that was not my first thought. Um, I wanted to, I, I thought that I would survive, although I had questions about how God would get us through this and how in the world he could mend eight broken hearts. Um, I had a lot of fears but I really, really thought I will never smile again. You know, I might get through life and we might be okay, but I don't think I'll ever really be happy again. And, you know, my story is that about 10 years ago, actually. So on a very, what I thought was an ordinary Friday morning, I woke up to my husband's 
funny breathing. It was strange. And I wasn't even awake enough to open my eyes, but I was awake enough to reach over and just say, it's just a nightmare and kind of nudge him thinking that he would turn over. We would go back to sleep and wake up to his alarm in a couple hours. And he didn't turn over. And so as I woke more to his breathing, I flipped on the overhead light and I could see immediately that something was really wrong. And, you know, we did all, I went into Manage crisis management mode. Um, this was completely unexpected. There had been no signs, no symptoms, no anything to think that you know he was at all ill or something was going on. Um, we called nine one one. They walked us through a couple rounds of CPR, and before I even got to the second end of the second round, the paramedics were at the home, my home, so they were right outside my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, good. He's in good hands. And they're going to take him to the hospital and, you know, he's going to be so upset when he finds out he can't go into work today and he wakes up. But at the same time, the signs of the gravity of the situation were dawning on me. Um, I had not felt a pulse. Um, They were, had not been able to revive him in our home. And so... I, they took him off to the hospital and I followed and in the emergency room, they took me into that room that you never want to go into that counseling room that I had mm-hmm. seen other people go into and leave weeping. And so I knew when they took me in there and they, the doctor said that they had worked on Dan for over two hours and they had never been able to revive him. So that was it. He, it was a, a heart attack, not a classic heart attack. There was something underlying that was wrong that we never knew no mm. symptoms presented themselves and they could have been treatable had we known so that too was a surrender you know mm. that that yeah. we didn't have that but in that that space of 24 hours you know life just shattered and not just the loss of my husband but for my seven children um i had kids that were age 4 to 19 at the time and so you know life for them would forever be different and then just the ripples of loss that you just keep bumping into in something like that. Right. Because not only are you dealing with the loss of this person and the relationship and what they brought into your lives and the connection, there's also the future now doesn't look the way that you had envisioned for it to look. And there's continuous loss that you face as you have to continue to just step one day at a time without this person in your life. And you mentioned though, in your book that you journaled then at that point, perhaps even for that, I think that whole first year that this is just too hard. And, you know, would you tell us more about having to start making those steps forward and how that looked at home for that first year? Yeah, I did. I was not a big journaler before. I would kind of start and stop, you know, maybe if I was in a Bible study or we were on vacation and I wanted to record some things, but I was desperate for the Lord, desperate for guidance, desperate for Him to give me hope. And um, I just had so much bottled up in me, honestly. I had so many emotions and fears and, you know, our thoughts go on overdrive in any kind of situation like that. And there's a lot of ways we can come to shattering loss. Um, you know, you and I were talking that it could be a spouse who walks out. Um, it could be... Um, you know, we find ourselves as a single mom and this was not the way we thought we would come to motherhood or we thought that we would be partnered through motherhood and through a very intentional decision, you know, we're fostering or adopting children and our children can, can then be um, dealing with some loss. But for me, it was 
an everyday just meeting with the Lord and saying, this is too hard. I cannot do this. And what it looked like in our home was um, really me just just completely dependent on the on God. I mean, I had thought that I was dependent on him and I wanted to be dependent on him, but when the rug is pulled out from under us and all those things that we earthly things that we kind of counted on are not there anymore, then we have no choice but to fall on the Lord. And you know, um for me we were a t- we were a single income family. So that income was now gone. So there were financial issues we were dealing with. I was raising kids without their dad and you know, had teen boys, 12-year-old, 14-year-old, 16-year-old, 17. I thought, how in the world am I going to raise these boys to be men without their six foot three dad? Yeah. I, I am I, you know, I just imagined that I would be kind of run over. And they were good kids. Um just so many fears about my children's health. Their dad had collapsed at in his 40s, and now I was worried for them and worried how they would act out in their grief. Mm. But I think for me, you know, people will often say that we need to find a new normal. Mm. And I'm not really a fan of that term because I yeah. think so many <laughs> times it, it just isn't doesn't feel normal. I mean, yeah. honestly, even to this day, single parenting does not all, I feel sometimes like the, you know, the fifth wheel in, yes. <laughs> in different groups. Um, but I like, do like to say a new rhythm mm. and it takes a while for us to find that new rhythm. It is survival at first. Um, and then we begin to find ways that we can find our footing and we begin to move through all those firsts and find out that God doesn't have fact have us and he does in fact provide for us here and he does meet us here and give us wisdom here and guidance here and so as we move through those first I think we can find our footing and we can find a new rhythm yeah I love that perspective because and you're right um I was I began this single parent journey before the pandemic so that new normal has been worn out because yeah. of covid but I remembered thinking of that term new normal in even that that season prior to the pandemic beginning and not settling well with it and recognizing that I think for me, part of where that comes from is just normal seems to indicate that this is okay, mm. that I should be okay with it. And it's actually okay if I continue to walk through this and say, you know what, this is not God's design for parenting. It's really not. This is he designed for there to be mothers and fathers. Now it's my reality. So I have to be able to step forward in that and say, how do I make this thing the very best that I can make it and rely on God to fill in what I need, but I will not accept. I cannot accept that this, that this is normal really, because it still is outside of that design, you know, and it's okay because the Lord grieves with us in that he grieves with the fact that we're outside of this. And for very often times circumstances that we could not control, but he hasn't left us in that. Right. So though we may wish, we may wish for normal, we may really, really hope for normal to, to return some kind of normalcy. The fact is, and you talk about this, I love how you say this, that this is not really plan B though. This is just chapter two. Yeah. But I think you're right to, to recognize that uh, death was never in God's plan. Mm-hmm. Divorce was never in God's plan. Disease, devastation, those things are not part of God's original 
designed for us. We were not made, we were not created for that, I guess right. is what we should say. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so they will always cause us to be shaken and they will mm-hmm. always feel a little um, like something's missing, yeah. you know, but you know, we will talk because we don't stay in that place. Yes. We don't stay in that place of just utter devastation and hopelessness. Yeah. So, and and let's talk about that a little bit as far as how do we get there though, from this place of, I am devastated to this place of, okay, life, life can go on. Life can be good. In the midst of this, there's a wrestling with helplessness though. There is this sense that I cannot do it all, that I wanted things to be this way. And no matter how I try to work things out, it's just not, I, I can't manage it all. Right. So you talk about helplessness and how this though can actually be a good thing. Yeah. You know, I think many of us want to be dependent on God. We just don't want the circumstances that are going to force us to be dependent on him. Mm -hmm. And these kind of circumstances force us. Um, For me, I felt utterly helpless in so many ways. But in that helplessness, I turned to the Lord for everything that I would have really turned to my Mm -hmm. earthly husband Mm -hmm. for wisdom, for guidance, for provision, you know, I turned to the Lord. And what I found is that, you know, God is very practical. It, this mm-hmm. is not pie in the sky. His promises are not pie in the sky words in the Bible that we just close up and then we go on our merry way. He is so personal yeah. and so practical when we lean on him in our utter weakness. And, you know, he loves the single mom. There are so many verses in the Bible that talk about the widow and the fatherless and how he cares for them. And from time, from the time that he first set up, you know, um, communities, he provided for these, you know, very intentionally. And he still does. So a couple ways that that panned out for me. Yeah. Um, early on, this I'll just give you a couple examples. Like I, we could sit here and talk for for days about the ways that God led me very practically. Very early on, my two of my kids were invited to go on a ski trip with a with a Christian group, but I didn't really know the Christian group. It wasn't part of our church. It was a parachurch group. And they were given a full scholarship. It was like, you know, a few months after their dad had died. And I think this group was kind of reaching out to them. And it sounded great, but I didn't know the leaders. I didn't know anything about this group. I didn't, you know, and so my initial instinct was to say no, um, just because I didn't know the group well enough. But I said, you know what? I will pray and we'll see what the Lord says. And so I did. I gave it to the Lord and didn't really think much of it. But in my own prayer time, I just felt a strong yes nudge. There were no audible words no skyline writing, but just a strong yes, door open nudge. So I was like, okay, I'm going to trust you in this. And I got my questions answered from the leaders and my two kids went off on this trip and they came this ski vacation or retreat. And they came back when I picked them up, it was just the two of them in the car with me. And I don't know if you've picked up your kids from like a little away weekend, um, but they're just talking and, and, you know, decompressing and telling me everything that happened. And I'm listening as I'm driving in the car. And they both said, this is the best, this is the best church trip we've ever been on. And they've been on a lot of youth trips. We had a very active youth ministry. And they began to tell me why that they were just received so warmly, that it was just, just why it was so good for them. And in a season when so much of life was hard for all of us, for them carrying such heavy weights and heavy grief, um, to be in this group was just, I could, I could see on the, you know, on the 
in when they came home that God had been right, that Mm -hmm. yes was the right answer, that this was just what they needed and that this fed them in a way that they really needed in that season. Um, And then another super quick story. This was probably a year or so later, um, maybe a year and a half later, my young, my youngest son was probably six or seven was uh, I went outside one day and caught him with a BB gun outside. Now we live in a suburban neighborhood, so you can't shoot BB guns in the backyard. So I took it away and gave him like the stern mom talking to and put it up and it had been under lock and key, but he knew where his dad kept the keys, I guess. So told him, you know, couldn't do this and safety issues. Well, a couple of days later walked out and he was doing the exact same thing. And this child was not a disobedient child. He was a very, a very easy child to parent. And so this time though, seeing him with this BB gun, I kind of, I was not so patient. I let him have it. You know, mm-hmm. I was, this is dangerous and you can't do this. And if we keep doing this, then we're going to get rid of the gun and we won't have it. And you're supposed to come get an adult and all this and put the gun up and could just see his eyes welling up with tears as I said this and went inside of my laundry room, buried my head in a pile of towels and just cried. I didn't even really pray so much as just cried because I knew in my heart, the problem was not his disobedience. The problem was he missed his dad. And this was a connection to his dad. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't fix it. Even if I took him out hunting with that gun, I was the mom and I couldn't feel that. And within the hour, I got a phone call from a friend who said that her husband, they lived on a farm, wanted to take this son and another one of my boys over. He would always take two at a time to to his property. And was there anything special he could do with them? And I said, yes. Would you let them shoot guns? I knew this man had guns. Would you let them shoot? And would you just let him get it out of his system? And would you talk to him like you talk to your own boys about how to handle guns and when to use guns? And it was such, you know, right there side by side, the lack Mm. and God's provision. Mm. And that has happened over and over. And I think that is one of the things that can be so overwhelming about this is this overwhelming sense of lack. And I have similarly found times where I'm really focusing hard on this concern that I have and not able to move the mountain at all. And yet in the moment where I learn to just pray or let it go or complain to God or whatever it is that he then just he longs to bless us. He longs to show us just who he is. He longs to surprise us. And that when we can rest in that helplessness, that we really truly can see where he is. And I think that's the most difficult part of this surrender is we will so much more clearly see the goodness of God when we are at the end of our rope. And when we allow ourselves to be there, though, if I say, all right, well, I'm helpless in this, but I'm going to step forward in this. I have seen where the money has just showed up. I have seen the checks in the mailbox, you know, that that people talk about very often. But it it is difficult when life has dealt you a blow already to wonder where was God in that? Will he still be there? Will he still show up? Is there still goodness for me? How were you able to bridge that gap? Uh, I was just having this conversation with a brand new single mom yesterday, texting back and forth. And she said, it's not that I don't have faith. It's just that I prayed and my prayers weren't answered. Mm. 
And, you know, I think in that season, we always, there's a couple things. One is that the, you know, for me, when life felt bad, I desperately needed to see God's goodness. And so I began to start looking for it and, and cultivating it. And again, you know, just like my journaling, I was not one to keep a gratitude list. I had heard, I'd heard mm-hmm. all the things about how good it is and how good it is for you. But I really, I guess I wasn't that needy. And though we had gone through hard things, life was not perfect by any stretch. I mean, we had gone through parenting issues and financial struggles and, and marriage issues, but they were always seasons that we got through. This was a loss that would never be, you know, this side of heaven my children will never have their biological father. And this side of heaven, you know, Dan is forever gone. And so um, in that, in that place of just feeling like, you know, I, yes, I agree. God is good, but is he good for me right now in this? Mm -hmm. Because that's what we're really asking. We need to proactively look for it. And so I began to every day, just write down seven things, you know, when I would get alone and meet with God and I had to do that every day because it was, that was what was anchoring me. I would start with seven things. I would kind of look back over the day before and think, where did I see your hand? And it might just be a little thing like um, waking up to the rain this morning or Mm. um, meeting a friend for coffee, or it might be a big thing like the phone call we got that, you know, where this man, this other man in our church took my two sons to his farm. I mean, it might be a big thing. And so as I started to do that, I could see God's goodness all around me because when we start looking for God's goodness, it's uncanny because he will open our eyes and we'll see more of it. And it also helped me connect the dots, things that I was praying for, or like you said, just kind of crying out to God for, Mm -hmm. um, I would see provision for that or his answers for that or how he was sustaining me through that. And so just looking for God's goodness was so helpful in that season to see that God had not abandoned us. This mm. was not my choice. And if I if I had had a choice for my children or me, I would never have chosen this. And yet in this place, God was so present and so intentional and his hand was all over us and he had absolutely not abandoned us. And it, you know, until our emotions can catch up to see that, life can be good again. Yeah. When we're going through that hard, those hard emotions, it really helps to have the hope that of seeing God's hand in the today. I love how you connect that to our prayer life because a lot of times we will presume, oh, my prayer is being answered when I see this outcome, that this is the way that God is going to show me his goodness. And number one, we can't really fixate on an outcome because then we will be disappointed very often. But that even, you know, on the way to an outcome, if we're waiting on something, you know, that we've, that we're moving towards, that this is where God reveals his handprints, his fingerprints, you know, and all of the things that he's working on around us. And that we may be actually able to turn away from needing to have a specific outcome to saying, well, God can do immeasurably more than I ask or imagine. What if he's going to do this in a different way? And just even that first piece of surrender 
is so helpful for the ones that are harder to surrender. But when, when we look at, and I've struggled, this is my struggle with gratitude lists. Sometimes it's just like, thank you for this. And thank you for that. And it's kind of like when you're a kid sitting at Thanksgiving and you have to say something, you know, but when we can connect it tangibly to this is the presence and goodness of God in my life. This is him doing an intentional thing for my delight, for my relationship to connect me with him. He's, this is where he's reaching into my story. That is That to me is so powerful that I cannot help but have praise and thanks that comes from that because then it's not a happenstance thing of like, oh, I like cardinals and I saw one today. You know, yeah. it's, it's so much more of God saying, no, I placed this cardinal for you right here today to remind you that I'm here with you that I know you enjoy this thing and I enjoy this thing. That's why I created them. And this is a connection thing for us, you know? Yeah. And you know, it also helps us to kind of save those moments because so many times in life, we can just, we can see God's hand or we see him connecting the dot for us. And we think we'll we'll remember it forever, Mm -hmm. but we won't because life moves on the busyness. We move on to the next thing and we forget all the ways that God provided for us and sustained us and met us and delighted us, you know, made us smile in the hardest seasons, gave us joy in the hardest seasons. So gratitude has been life-changing for me. I think that's how he really also brings peace into situations that are very chaotic, you know, because those little one-by-one things every day might be all you have to hang on to for that day. It's sort of like, this is your manna, you know, that I don't know how I'm going to feel like God is present with me tomorrow, but at least this is what I had today. And then we have enough today and today and today and today that we can go back and look at and see the track record of God's faithfulness. It's how we're able to approach the bigger things to say, for example, you know, why did, why was I allowed to be in this situation or, what good could come from a divorce or what good could come from having been in this particular situation. And when we see those little faithfulnesses, like I have the ability to look back on my story and say, wow, this was the big goodness that was actually in all these really hard and devastating things that make it. So when we do have to step into difficult things in the future, because we just will continue to in this life that instead of approaching it with the fear of being vulnerable and the fear of losing again, that we can know God's goodness will meet me here though. Even though this is a really hard, terrible thing, God's goodness will meet me in this again. He was there before and he'll be there again. Yeah, absolutely. There are three words every abuse survivor must hear. God hates abuse. Plus One Parents has released a devotional for abuse survivors called Safe Haven, a devotional for the abused and abandoned. Safe Haven is a biblically-based guide to abuse, giving you the tools that you need to identify it, respond to it, and heal from it. Safe Haven is now available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats, and you can locate a link to purchase your copy down in the show notes. That fear, though, let's let's dig into that a little bit. You know, when life is kind of swimming along, we sort of think we're not going to be part of, you know, the statistic that, you know, this bad thing, well, it happens to other people, but it probably won't happen to me, you know, until a bad thing happens to you. And then it feels like, well, maybe a lot more bad things are going to happen. How do you, how did you overcome 
that fear of the other shoe dropping. Yeah, it really does open the door wide to all kinds of fear. And, you know, I I think I had been a garden variety fearful mom before, but when this happened, I had very real fears. I mean, we had one income and that income was gone. That was, you know, how was God going to provide for us and for my children's health? You know, I just had a lot of fears. Um, And I realized that I was getting, it was like a vice grip on my thoughts. I Mm -hmm. was parenting out of fear. I was unable to make decisions because I was kind of paralyzed by this fear. And it was just consuming my thought life in a very unhealthy way. And I realized this fairly early on. And I knew that I was going to have to get a handle on it if I was going to be able to move forward. Um, And the answer came one day when I was having coffee with a friend who had walked, who walking through different circumstances, but also some very difficult circumstances. She has a diagnosis that is degenerative and chronic. And um, so she had dealt with fear in her life. You know, what will this look like for me? And what will my abilities be in a year? And we were having coffee. And as I was telling her the things that I was scared of, she said, I know this one. And she said, she gave me 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that says that we're to take all thoughts captive to the truth of Christ. And so I began to do that very practically. I began to put in place three steps. And the first was call out the lie under the fear. Mm -hmm. So all of our lies are driven by some kind, I'm sorry, all of our fears are driven by some kind of lie. So take, for instance, my fear of our financial provision, you know, without this income. The lie was, is that God is not going to provide for us in this season. Even though he provided as a young couple, when we were both in graduate school, you know, putting revving two nickels together, even though he provided when we were two income family, even though he provided through Dan's income for that season. And, you know, the, the promise in scripture is that my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And that is Philippians 4.19. So to... Step one, call out the, the lie under the fear. And then step two, kind of take it captive. I would imagine that lie just being lassoed in my mind and kind of dragged out of my mm. thoughts mm-hmm. and then to replace it with the truth of Christ. And that's always a promise or the character of God. And at first, when I first began to very practically apply this, it felt very clunky, like I was doing this over and over. And it was very, you know, it wasn't laborious, but I was going through these three steps very intentionally. But the more I did it, the easier it became. And the less fear was really even dwelling in my thoughts. The less I was, I wasn't parenting out of fear anymore. I wasn't paralyzed by fear. And I still had a lot of new hard steps, just like you talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. We will continue to walk through new hard things. And, you know, especially as a single mom, Oh, I cannot tell you how many days I felt like I just need to put a sign up on the back of my bedroom door so that when I get up in the morning, it's like you can do hard things Mm. because every day felt like I was doing new hard things. But that fear, we have a way to take care of it so that we don't have to do those hard things through fear and be paralyzed by fear. I appreciate you saying that the process though is clunky. (laughs) It takes a little bit of practice. It takes a lot of practice because that anxiety really gets going and gets our whole body engaged that we're just feeling 
you know, on edge and it, it can be very easy to let those thoughts just keep swirling around. And there is, I think, I know for me, there's this element of control though, that if I'm worrying about it, at least somebody is thinking about it, you know, <laughs> like maybe it will actually do something. And though turning it to God, I think there is that, that realization that we have to know his character. We have to know his promises. We have to really hang on to those because though we may have these past faithfulnesses that we've been tracking, right? There's sometimes it's still this lie that it's like, well, that's all there is. Yeah. It, you've, this is all your, this is your allotted portion your for quota. life. The rest of it, you're on your own, you know? And I think though, I love the idea though of lassoing the lies because we can know this lie is from the enemy to take me away from the God who is going to be there, who is going to provide, who is going to show up. And that's his whole MO is to just get me discouraged enough that I wouldn't lean into it, that I wouldn't ask that it's going to keep me away from stepping closer and closer and closer to those moments where I do see God showing up, that my faith would actually be strengthened through all of this trouble. And he, the enemy doesn't want that. So I think that's just so so pivotal for us to understand that where the even source of the lie comes from and why it is there so that we can say, that means there's actually something great for me to step into, that God is still going to be there. And I'm going to charge ahead into that because I definitely don't want to stay here. And the fear, it is there to steal, kill, and destroy. That's right. And, and listen, the enemy, when devastation happens in your family, it feels like the enemy has got his toe in the door. Mm. And if you've ever tried to close a door when somebody's got their toe stuck in it, you know, it's hard. Yeah. And, I, you know, it felt very palpably to me, like he was trying to wedge in bigger and bigger. Mm. And so, but we have, we can do things like take you're, take you know these lies captive to the truth, and he is just unarmed. He's disarmed, and you know we don't want to be a mom who parents out of fear. Yeah. We want to be healthy and parent out of faith for our children. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when it comes to community being part of this, some of what is also difficult when we talk about fears is the fact that we know that we have lots of needs, and we may though have a fear of asking for help and a fear of letting people know what we need and a fear of being vulnerable. When it comes to tackling specifically, you know, that kind of fear, how have you been able to move through that to experience what God has had for you in the context of community? This is hard. Opening ourselves up and allowing the vulnerability that comes with receiving help is not natural to us. I think, especially in our culture, I think some cultures are, are better at this, but I do not think that our culture is, is good at this. And I think, you know, we're really, I was, I wanted to be the one bringing the casserole, but it feels very vulnerable really to open my door and have people come in and help me and mm -hmm. see the real me and see, I really don't have it all together and I really can't handle this. Yeah. Um, but there is, that's really 
the way God designed community. And we will not always be receiving help. There may be a period of time where we are especially in need of that help. You know, when life first collapses and falls apart, or we are in a season of overwhelm, we may be especially in need of that help. But God will bring opportunity for you to be on the other side and to give help. So for me, I just had to, you know, I really was a student of learning how to receive help and what that feels like. Um, I did not do it perfectly. There were times that I, I actually said, we're good when we weren't good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to this day, I regret, I regret not the help. I regret that I didn't let those people into my life. Yeah. That I didn't let them have the blessing of help and me receive the blessing of their help. Mm. But what does this look like? So for, for us, I think, on the receiving end, I think that we need to make our need known. And sometimes we're fearful to do that. But this happened to me just the other day. So I had, I just have two at home now. I have seven children, but five are launched. But even with my two, I can find myself in a situation where I'm supposed to be two places at once, right? And mm-hmm. every single mom gets that. Yeah. And we can't be there, you know, as, as hard as we try. So in this particular situation, I was at a birthday party and I really wanted to be at that birthday party, but I was going to have to leave and miss it in order to go pick up my daughter from dance. And a friend of mine said, oh, I'll pick her up and bring her to you. Well, that friend wasn't bringing her with her daughter. This was a special trip. She was going to go out of her house, go pick up my daughter, come bring Mm. her to the birthday party and then go back. And I almost couldn't let her do that. I just saw it as such imposition. But this Mm. was a very dear friend who wanted nothing more and had the time and made the offer because she was fully capable of doing it. And so I finally just kind of let my guard down and said, that would be really, that would be really nice. I really appreciate it. And it was really helpful. I think for single moms, um, for us, we so often pray for God to provide help. And then we're not willing to receive the help that comes through the hands and feet of others. Mm -hmm. I totally resonate with that. (laughs) Yes. I think, and you, you hit the nail on the head, especially when you are the one who is used to doing all of the giving. And that was one year specifically, the Lord worked in my heart worked on me about receiving that there are so many times where we miss what he is trying to do because we want to be, we don't want to be in that vulnerable space of having to receive because receiving number one, it's vulnerable because I don't know if now you're going to have an expectation of me or if I'm obligated, or if you have this pity that I don't want you to have, you know, I don't want to be your charity case, but it also is a space of being seen. And when you've been in a a unhealthy situation, being seen is dangerous. And so I can be seen on my terms. If I'm the one doing the giving, I can earn it basically is, is what it is, but to be seen in my need is a very, very vulnerable spot especially because it requires then that this other person has compassion. They have to have respect for boundaries, especially if you're not great at setting the boundaries or you're learning that. But the Lord just showed me all these different things that were going on in my heart that made the receiving so difficult. And once I, I shouldn't say once, but as I continued to work through that and just continually receiving, continually putting myself out there with people I knew were safe, it lost that sting or it lost that discomfort to the point where 
asking and setting boundaries and all these kinds of things now to me is not something that could cause me to feel disconnected or vulnerable. It's a way that I can figure out who is safe because of this vulnerability that if I can express a need to you and you can meet me in my need, cool. That means you, you are a good match, you know, in my, in my space and in my family and and that sort of thing. But putting ourselves in that place can be difficult. We have so much to gain by confronting the fear rather than continuing on and missing out. Yeah. And you know, I was stunned when I was uh, researching this in the in the Bible. Jesus received a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, God could have made it so that he had his own income, so that he had all that he needed. But he depend. We see him depending on the provision by other women. They were there at the cross with him. They had followed him, provided for him. He he stayed in others' houses. You know, he had he did not have his own house to stay in, and so he was dependent on others for food and hospitality and a place to lay his head. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Yeah, wow. And you know, all of that really struck me that if if God made it so that so if if it was okay for Christ to mm-hmm. receive then um, I also should be in that place okay with receiving from others. That that's really what community is. Yeah. And it really establishes such sweet friendships when we allow, when we open our heart and open our vulnerability and allow that. You know, and I think one of the things we focus on a lot is the giftedness side. You know, so for example, that God has given us spiritual gifts and, you know, we have these abilities and things that he's given us but not also recognizing that our need is ordained as well. So where we've been ordained to have these gifts, we've also been ordained to have deficiencies, you know, places where we don't have it all together. And, you know, that can look like circumstantial things, you know, so certainly being in a single parenting circumstance, but also just by virtue of the fact that I'm not good at certain things, right? So, or I, I just don't like certain things. Yard work is a you know, great example yeah. that I can help you with all manner of organizing. I can help you with, you know, cooking a meal. I can help you with all other kinds of other things that I love. I hate yard work. (laughs) I can't grow anything, you know, but that opens the door for friends of mine who are great at that and have a passion for that to say, let me teach you this. This will make it so much easier. Or let me come in and actually just let me do this for you, you know, and that it'll that that gives that other person joy to be able to exercise something that God has put in them. So where this need has sometimes been a space of vulnerability, it's actually just such a great exchange of gifts that the way God has knit us together, we can only experience when we have need. And, but I think the key is safe people. And I think that can be a bit of a process to navigate. And that is where, as we talked about before, seeing God's faithfulness and all these little things, it means that then when I go maybe into a church community that's new and it feels uncomfortable, that I can know he's there with me, that if I experience something that is negative in that new visit or whatever, that's okay. I'm going to move over here and try this one instead, that the Lord is with me in all of these things that I'm trying. And he is going to point me to where the place he's got me to go is. He's going to, that goodness is not going to leave me, that he is going to work through that process of what feels like frustration and disappointment to ultimately bring about the good that he has for the the particular place that he would have us to go. Yes. So true. 
Lisa, as we've been talking about goodness, though, I think one of the things that is difficult is recognizing that God's definition of good is not always the way that we would characterize it, not always the way that we would like things to go. When it comes to believing that life can be good again and allowing God to define that for you, what has been most pivotal? You know, it was probably in my second year of uh, Dan's death. So you got through all the firsts and all of that. And I was well into my second year. I'm not sure how far I'd have to go back to my journals and look, but I was just kind of having some time with the Lord one day and said, I I don't like my life. Mm. And just that admission was really good because, um, you know, we don't want to fake it. We don't want, we don't need to fake it with the Lord. We don't need to fake our emotions or fake any of that. He understands us. He knows our heart. He knows our struggles and what we're wrestling with. But I, as I made that admission, this thought came to me and it was that this is, even though this was totally unexpected for me and was not my choice, that this, I was not consigned to live out the leftovers of my life, that I wasn't, I hadn't been given second best by God, that this was God's intentional chapter two. And as such, because he had allowed it as such, it had as much abundance as all the years before. And for that did not immediately change. Like I didn't immediately start experiencing full on hundred percent joy, But what it did do is kind of reframe my outlook and give me a new truth to lean into so that as I was processing those hard emotions and that letting go of the life I wanted and the letting go of what the dreams that I had and what it would look like, as I did that, I could lean hard on this truth that God had as much abundance here as all the days before, knowing that one day that my emotions, that my heart would catch up to that truth. And it takes time. This is not an overnight, and it takes a different amount of time for each one of us. We are each on a different path. It depends on our personalities, our circumstances, the kind of loss that we have are walking through. But we can be sure that God has not left us on the sideline and that we're just going to watch everybody else live their best life while we just kind of sail on with what we have been given. That if we will lean into God's truth, that we can find abundance here and it will look different than what we expected, but it can be rich and good. I love that. And I love that it came out of you being brutally honest with God in saying, I do not like the way that my life looks. And I think many of us feel that, but we might be afraid to approach that with God. Something that God keeps whispering to me in the season is that there's more. And that's that's the kind of God that he is, that he can deliver us through these difficult things to birth something really abundant and beautiful. But as you said, it is going to look different. And when we can get our mind around different doesn't mean bad. And when we can stop comparing our different, not only to life in the past or life around us as other people are living it, then we really free ourselves up. And in that freedom is where that abundant life truly can be lived and and found. Yeah. And, you know, to, to wake up 
and to say, I'm excited about this day. You know, I'm excited about this week. I have a new dream and I'm even starting to sketch a new bucket list. Those are all signs that God has brought you through the hardest heart that you thought you would never smile again. You would never feel joy again. And he, he does promise to walk us through. Mm-hmm. Lisa, I am so deeply encouraged by your story and just the things that God has revealed about himself through the things that he's walked you through. And I'm so grateful that you would share it with us. At the end of every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? Hands down, I would say that you can be an amazing mom. You can be an incredible mom. One of the things I've done as a single mom is kind of keep a list of single moms who have amazing kids. And, you know, they're in the word, but they're in in real life too. And just to see that our kids can grow up to be healthy and whole and do amazing things. And I think so many times we think because of what's happened to me, I'll never be able to be the mom I want to be. I'll never be able, you know, my kids will never be able to um, have a stable relationship or do the things that I hoped for them. But I think this all goes back to what we were talking about, our lack. In our lack, we just realized it was never up to us in the in the first place that um, that God is doing what he wants to do in our children through us as weak moms and as Mm -hmm. incapable moms. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I would say, do not give into the lie that, that you can't be the mom you want to be and that your children can't do amazing things because you can be an amazing mom. You're probably already doing amazing work. I so appreciate that. Thanks a lot, Lisa. Would you tell listeners about your new book and your resources and how they can follow along with you? Sure. So my new book is called Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It All Falls Apart. And it is not a book that just slaps on some platitudes and says, let's go for, you know, let's get to the good part. It will walk you through the raw, heart-wrenching loss, hard emotions, harder questions that all come with that, but also give some tools, some very practical tools to begin to find your footing in a world, you know, in a, in a life that you didn't expect or want. And then to see that life can be good again. What does that look like? How can God reshape what has shattered? And you can find me at my site, which is lisaapolo.com. That's two P's and one L. Yes. And I will highly recommend this book. If you're listening, you know, I read a lot of books. (laughs) This one is at the top of the stack for me. I really, really did enjoy it. And I will include links in the show notes where you can find the book and Lisa on social media. But Lisa, thank you so much for spending time with me today. Thank you so much. What a great conversation. Single moms, you have my heart because I know how hard it is. I know how hard you work. And sometimes you make it look easy and it is not easy. Thanks, Lisa. If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd suggest a couple of others for you as well. Check out episode 84, Wrestling with the Word, Finding Faith When Life Falls Apart with Trisha Lott Williford. Also have a listen to episode 81, The Agony of Anger, Relinquishing Revenge and Giving the Fight to God with Rosie Rivera. We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. 
Also, at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, you can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.